0: Been waiting for a while for us to get into a book study, uh, then you're going to be glad that you're here because we're going to begin today a nine-week study of the book of Colossians called Mystery Revealed. And there are a lot of mysteries about life and people write even mystery stories. I found that many people enjoy a good mystery as long as that mystery doesn't remain a mystery forever. And it was kind of interesting uh, when I was doing some research for that, looking on the internet, uh, I I came across some things that said these were some of life's great Mysteries, and I don't know if they really got the point of that or not. But they said these are some of the life's great mysteries. Why is it that we park on, on or with? Sorry. Why is it we drive on parkways and park on driveways? Why is it that we put suits in garment bags and our garments in suitcases? How come abbreviation is such a long word? Why is there only one word for thesaurus? Uh, here's a mystery. What would a chair look like if our knees bent the other way? Uh, is it okay for vegetarians to eat animal crackers? That's a mystery. Um, If a book about failures doesn't sell, is that a success? And this last one, when it rains, why don't sheep shrink? Now, you know what wool does if you get it wet, so I don't know how the sheep get by with that. Fortunately, the mysteries that we're going to be examining are far more important than any of those uh, very trivial questions. Uh, But let's be honest, life does hold a lot of mysteries. Who is God? What is He like? What is the purpose of life? How do I find fulfillment in life? How can I trust what happens when life on this earth uh, is over? And so I think we're all going to be encouraged, we're going to be inspired by the study of the book of Colossians because it provides some answers uh, to some of life's most perplexing uh, mysteries. And let me just say as we're getting started here, just a, a little suggestion. Over these next nine weeks, I'd encourage you to th- consider reading through the book book of Colossians at least once every week. That why you can kind of get it in your mind. There's only four short chapters. I, count, I, I counted. Uh, there's just 94 verses. And only about twenty-two hundred words. I mean, only twenty-two hundred words in the whole book. And so it's something I think you can do. Um, and so I, as we're getting started here today, we're going to get familiar with Colossians. And I think I figure sometimes people have a hard time figuring out where Colossians is. So I want to give you a little bit of suggestion today. I remember when I went to Bible college and we had Bible introduction, and they told us things about the Bible. I'm like, why didn't they ever tell us that at church? Like how it was put together, how to find different things. Uh, we learned about how, you know, when the New Testament came together, obviously it starts with the life of Christ. Unfortunately, we have four books that give us different accounts of the life of Christ. And the next book that follows that is obviously the one chronologically, the book of Acts, which tells us about the history of the early church and how the early church expanded and and, uh, the the church grew. And then we get to the section called the epistles, which is really just a fancy uh, name for letters. They were letters that were written uh, by key people uh, that were put together. And so when we get to there, we get to Romans, uh, and that's probably first because it's simply the longest book at that particular point. And then we have First and Second Corinthians, and then we get to those four books that people keep having trouble with: uh, uh, Colossians, uh, Galatians, Philippians. And so we came up with a very, very deep theological way for us to keep track of how those books fit in order. So just remember this simple little phrase: Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. As I do in the study, somebody else came up with this one. If you like this better, the GE Power Company will tell you how order they come in. So when you're trying to find Colossians, you'll know it's right there at the end. And uh, it's just a reminder of that. These are letters that were written. So these writings that compose the New Testament were not written hypothetically, uh, but in an important context uh, that includes a writer and an audience and a purpose for writing and a subject matter. That it was addressing, and so as we're getting started in this series, need to give you just a little bit of the background, so it's going to sound kind of class oriented. But uh, we need to make a connection with Colossians, so you can kind of understand the basis behind that. And so, if you have your Bibles, you found Colossians already, go ahead and open them up, and we're going to take a look at the first couple of verses because it helps us kind of uh, get familiar with what's going on in Colossians. So, Colossians chapter one, uh, verses one and two, it starts out uh, like a normal letter would. It says, "Paul, an apostle." Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, uh, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now it identifies several things that will be helpful if we're aware of as we're studying through this book. First of all, it identifies the, the writer of the book, which is the Apostle Paul. Now I hope all of us don't lose sight of the fact that it's amazing that the Apostle Paul is actually writing a book that is promoting Christ in such a powerful way. Because when we are first introduced to Paul in the book of Acts. He's actually known as Saul, and he was not a proponent of faith in Christ at all. In fact, he was a staunch adversary. Now, notice he identifies himself and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. See, Paul didn't just decide one day that he was going to become an apostle. He actually had an encounter with Christ while he was on a trip uh, to the city of Damascus. And he was on that trip because he was headed there to expand the persecution against the early church by arresting believers and incarcerating them so they could be hauled back and put in jail in Jerusalem. And we don't have time to go into today, but he literally had a come to Jesus meeting on the road to Damascus that you can read about in Acts chapter 9. And what's interesting is the rest of, really the majority of the book of Acts is the history of of what Paul did after he had this encounter with Christ as he traveled around the Mediterranean on missionary journeys, trying to convince as many people as he could to become Christ followers. Think about that. The only explanation for that kind of transformation in the life of the Apostle Paul is that he literally had to have an encounter with Christ that changed his life. This is the guy writing the book. The recipients that we discover are believers in the city of Colossae. Now, the city of Colossae uh, wasn't a huge city, but it wasn't a tiny city either. Uh, the population estimated when it was written was about 70,000 people. It's located in what is now uh, the country of Turkey. about hundred miles east of the city of Ephesus, and that's a city where Paul spent several years teaching, and in fact, probably had an impact on that entire area. It's believed that the church, uh, when the letter was written, was probably about five years old. So, uh, academy's over, you know, 45 years old. So, it was a pretty young church uh, in that instance. Now, what's interesting about the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the the Colossians is, as far as we can tell, he didn't have any direct contact with this group of believers, and that's evidence in a couple of ways. One of them is just how he writes the letter. We're going to hear him say in just a little bit since the day we heard about you, not since the day we met you, but since we heard about you. And and then the fact that the city of Colossae isn't even mentioned in the book of Acts. And that leads scholars to believe that it was probably while Paul was in Ephesus, he brought a lot of people to Christ. Those people went out. One of them uh, is a guy by the name of Epaphras who's actually referenced in the letter. You'll hear his name in just a little bit. They think he probably planted the church with the help of another one of Paul's close friends, a guy by the name of Philemon. That should ring a little bit of a bell because there's a book uh, in the Bible with a, uh, written with his name on it, Uh, And so just make note of that. It's the shortest one. It's about one chapter. uh, And I think uh, Pastor Dave is going to be talking about that uh, in just a little bit. So that's the recipients, these Christians in the city of Colossae. And then the date uh, of the, the writing of it. It's important to know this has a historical context. And so the date is considered to be about 61 or 62 A.D. Now, Put it into context, the book of Acts closes with the Apostle Paul in kind of this legal limbo in Rome. He's under house arrest, uh, and he's there, we know, from about 61 to 63 AD. He couldn't really travel around, but he enjoyed really some great freedom in that people came to visit him, and it's likely that Epaphras made a visit to Paul in Rome during that time and just gave him an update on the church. And when he gave that update, Paul became inspired, encouraged to go ahead and take the time and make the effort to write the letter to this church to encourage them. Now, remember that the early Christ followers didn't sit around and have Bible studies all the time because there was no Bible to study. It hadn't been really composed or written yet. And that's why these New Testament writings are so important is because they're written to address specific situations that help not only those folks, but also us as well, be able to live out our faith as Christ followers. And as we're quickly going to see as we get further into the story, Paul uses here some of the most descriptive language in the Bible to describe the importance of keeping Jesus at the very center of our faith. Uh, we're going to hear words that are said about Jesus only in the book of Colossians. The picture of Christ presented in Colossians is like nowhere else, uh, which brings me now to the purpose of the letter of Colossians, which, again, is a pretty short book, but it's pretty powerful at the same time. And so here was the purpose of the letter. I think it was to remind believers of a very important kingdom equation. Kids learn new school and math, or, or math in school, and uh, they get things you know, going there. But here's, here's a, a great kingdom equation that you're going to hear throughout this study— Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The apostle Paul, one of these people to say, you know what, if I have Jesus, if I know Christ, then him without anything else actually equals everything because you can have everything in this world, but if you don't have Jesus, you really have nothing. You can have nothing else in this world, but if you have Jesus, you'll have everything. That really is enough. Now, that can be kind of hard for us to really wrap our minds around. Because what we find is there's a tendency, uh, instead of just keeping Jesus as central, he's enough, to shift towards some, some kind of sides that. To shift towards either liberalism or legalism. Instead of saying, with Christ at the center, we'll go to liberalism. And liberalism really just says, well, hey, let's not be too you know, dogmatic or too you know, defined here. Surely we can accept more things. And so that's exactly why the Apostle Paul was writing this letter. This relatively young church, I think, was doing pretty well, but they were in danger, just as we might be, of drifting from some of their very important core beliefs See, the Colossian church included people from all different backgrounds, Greeks and Jews and people from different religious and irreligious backgrounds, and some of those people were kind of wanting to bring some of those other beliefs that they'd held before with them into the church, into part of the new faith. And so, for example, uh, people were saying, hey, I like this part of my faith and, and this part of Christianity, and they were bringing that together, false teachers had taken ideas from astrology and uh, magic and uh, paganism and Judaism, and they were producing this false doctrine. As you'll see, even promoting Jesus as uh, just an angelic being rather than who he was. And so Paul's ancient words uh, still describe what can happen to us today, can it? Haven't you seen times when people, instead of keeping Christ as central, they start to let other things in? I know, for, for example, there are people who read the Bible in the Morning, but the last thing they do before they go to bed is check their horoscope, because they want to keep all of their bounds, you know, covered at that particular point, and that's letting those other things sneak in. There's many other people today who consider Jesus as an important religious teacher, but just as an important religious teacher, not really who the Bible claims he is. Now, while some people might be more susceptible to liberalism, uh, some people often at times tend to move to more legalism, and instead say, hey, you've got to jump through all of these hoops. If you want to be right with God, you need Jesus plus this. And you need to make sure you're doing all of the right things. And that's why we need to remember you when you get to legalism. Uh, You... you can't do enough to ever earn your way into heaven by being good enough. And that's where legalism takes us. If I do the right things, God's going to set me, God's going to take me into heaven. Well, in Colossians, we're going to see Paul seeking to strengthen the faith of these believers by combating these false ideas uh, that were creeping into the church. Uh, And so his teaching is is positive, there's encouragement, but there's also some important doctrinal uh, teaching as well as some clear warnings. Now, the reason that we're calling this Mystery Revealed as as a a series is that there are four times in this very short letter where Paul uses the word mystery and says we're going to learn what this mystery is all about in connection with Christ. And now some 2,000 years later, Paul's ancient words still deliver a message important uh, for believers today. And so here's our theme that we're going to be talking about uh, of the series, Mystery Revealed, God's divine plan for redemption and completion and purpose in Jesus Christ. If you're kind of wondering, hey, what's life is all about? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Who's God? What's he all about? We're gonna answer those questions in this study of Colossians. And so I just say, if you want all of God's best, in your home, in your workplace, in the church, and in your personal life, then Colossians will teach you the pathway to a whole new you. And so let's go ahead and jump in and read a little bit more and see kind of the direction that Paul begins to take as we get to verse three of Colossians chapter one. He identifies who he is and who he's writing to, and then notice what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing you know: is their faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. So they got it, that people are gonna know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then he goes on in verse five, the faith and love which spring from the hope that is stored up from you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace. Uh, You learned it from Epaphras. There's that guy again, our dear fellow servant who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us about your love in the Spirit. Now, isn't it interesting, two times in his opening statement, Paul makes mention of their faith. That's what really perked his ears when he heard about the Colossian Christians. And so we're going to start today by looking at what I would call the mystery of faith, what faith is all about. And next week, we're going to look at the mystery of God as Christ reveals him, and then the the next week, the mystery of Christ. But in his opening comments, Paul reveals that it is their faith that had captured his attention. And it makes me think, why did Paul choose to highlight their faith? What's so important about their faith? Well, because that's, as we know, that's where it all starts. In our relationship with God, it starts with faith. And we're sure of that because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, what does the Bible say? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him needs to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, the mystery of faith is this. God has chosen to interact with us on the basis of faith. If we're going to have a relationship with God, if we're going to interact with him, it's going to be on the basis of faith. But faith really is a bit of a mystery. Why did God select that? Have you ever wondered why God chose faith as a basis of our interaction with him? Uh, It seems like it'd be a lot easier if he just made everything crystal clear so that faith wasn't required. The reason he did so is because he wants our relationship with him to be our choice. We get to choose what we're gonna put our faith in. And let's be honest, everybody in their culture today has faith in something. Everyone believes something about life and its origin or about its its ultimate destination. And God has given us the option of putting our faith in him if we choose. Now, faith is kind of an interesting thing. Because to have faith, uh, there needs to be some trust that's based on some evidence and experience but if you think about it, it also concerns things yet to be evidenced and experienced. And so there's this dual side. I'm believing in what I know, but I'm trusting in what I have yet to see. And the reason we know that's what faith is is because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the definition of faith says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance uh, what we do not see. Now, what is it that we're putting on? our confidence in, so that we can trust. Well, there are three vital beliefs about God that we need to make sure we have put our faith in. Uh, these are required uh, for faith in, G- in, in God. And the first would be, of course, that he exists, One of the things you're going to have to believe about God before you go any farther in relationship with him is that he exists and that requires faith. Why? Because none of us, I don't think, have actually ever seen God, but we have seen evidence of God all around us. We've experienced in our lives. We see it in nature. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 1 verse 20 that says since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men or people are without excuse We're in a great season of the world right now for spring, which is a great testimony to look around and see evidence of God, right? I mean, stuff that was dead, it was cold, it was, you know, in the winter, no life, and all of a sudden it's popping forth with life, and it's easy to look around and say, wow, you know, what caused all of that? There's a reason why the earth bears witness to intelligent design, because God provides evidence of himself, um, but not to the point that we still don't need to put faith in him that he exists. The second vital belief about God is that he has our best interests at heart and a reward in mind for us. And this is a little bit of a challenge for some people. There's a lot of people who think God, really he's kind of against us, he's a cosmic killjoy who only wants us to be miserable, that's why he gave us all these rules and regulations. If there's one thing I would want you to hear today, you need to know God is for you. And when you put your faith in God, you're, you're putting your faith in a God who says, you know, I, I believe he has my best interest at heart and a reward in mine. And one of the reasons we know that is probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John 3:16. What does it say? God has our best interest at heart and a reward at mind. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then there's a third thing that we need to have a belief about God if we're really going to rest in him, and that is that he can do all the things that he's promised. That he, is faithful, has the power and the ability to do what he's promised. Probably the faith champion in the Bible, if you hear anybody that gets you know, accolades for his faith, it would be, anybody want to guess whose name that is? Abraham, um, Father Abraham. And against all hope, Abraham believed that he and his wife Sarah could have a child because God promised it, even though they were both nearing the century mark in age. And here's how that faith is described in Romans 4, 20 and 21. It says, and yet he, Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That's part of the mystery of faith. Now, let me explain something before we go on, and then I'll give you a picture, hopefully, of what I think that kind of faith looks like. The goal of faith is not the elimination of risk. See, the, if, 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 we want, if we want to be able to know for, you know, for certain where we're going and without there being any risk, it's just not gonna happen. That's the nature of faith. Um, there's no such thing as risk-free faith, but that's the part where God wants to say, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. And... Um, You know, I've noticed sometimes as we get older, that gets a little bit harder for us, but kids probably get it the best of all. And you know, I was thinking here a while back, it's been a long time since I've been able to show you a picture of my grandkids. And a week and a half ago, we were in St. Louis visiting our grandkids and our little grandson, Lincoln, who's two years old showed me what faith is supposed to be like. We were building this play set and before we could get it done. He was crawling up to the top, and on the count of three, just leaping into my arms. And so I thought, you got to see that, because he is so cute. And actually, we're going to show it to you three times. <laughs> well, because it's really fast. And so we're going to show it to you one time at normal speed, one time in slow motion, and then another time at normal speed. Now watch this. This is faith. Oh my goodness. Lincoln. Now watch this. Look at this. That's what faith looks like. Now, if we have that kind of a faith, we're going to have a healthy faith in God. And what's interesting is the Apostle Paul, as he goes on in the book of Colossians, as he writes, he actually provides a kind of a snapshot or a picture of what a healthy faith is looks like. And so let's go on and read from verses 9 through 14. And watch for these. You're going to see these five things that he says uh, demonstrates what a healthy faith looks like. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And I want to take a break real quick. You're the first service I thought I had time to give this to. But just a reminder, sometimes you ever wonder, I don't know what to pray for people. You know, Lord bless Mary and take care of Bob and watch over Sue. Um, Sometimes one of the best places we can do is go to the Bible and say, hey, how was the Apostle Paul praying for people? What was he praying for people? And take a look at what he prayed for. And, And notice he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. How about praying that for some of the people you'd like to grow in Christ? That God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. So through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, and then he goes on, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Because He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul provides five characteristics of a healthy faith. When you believe God exists... When you believe he has your best interests at heart and a reward in mind, and when you believe that God can do what he promised, here's what your faith will look like. It will have a desire to live a life that honors God and is pleasing to him. Let me ask you this morning, does it matter to you that your life honors God? Because if if your faith in him is healthy, it will be important to you to live a life that honors God. Secondly, it's involved in work that bears spiritual fruit. A lot of us, we're just spending our lives doing a lot of things that aren't going to last for eternity. Uh, When we have a healthy faith, we're going to say, you know what, I need to make some kind of investment in eternity, and that's being involved in spiritual work. Number three, it's growing in a knowledge of God. Have you ever got to the point where you say, you know what, I don't know that I really care to learn that much more about the Bible or about God. When your faith is healthy, there'll be a desire to want to know more about God, to grow in the knowledge of him. And then number four, it relies on the strength that God provides in order to endure with patience. If you've been a Christian for a while, you understand that the Christian life is more like a marathon than it is a sprint. And if you're going to make it through a marathon, you've got to have some endurance. Now, we've had some at every service so far. The last service, I mean, these people were really timid. But I'm interested, I mean, raise your hands, don't be shy. How many of you here are marathon runners? I know there's some in the crowd. Any marathon runners? Okay, there's a few here. Man, kudos to you to be able to run 26 miles. I, you know, I, I, I really like to pick on runners because I don't like running that much. I don't really like running at all. In fact, when I was in school, the sports that I were in, I ran sprints, which meant that most of the runs that I were doing were done in under a minute, not an hour and a half or two hours like some people run. And uh, even though, you know, every morning I try to spend a little bit of time on elliptical, but I like to pick on runners. And I actually recently came across a biblical reason not to run. If you have Facebook, it's shown up on a T-shirt that says this. I love this. It says, I wanted to go jogging, but Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked run when no one's chasing them. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, you see those people just out running? There's nobody chasing them. <laughs> I finally figured out what they did. No, just kidding. You're going to have to have endurance, and you will have that endurance um, if your faith is healthy. And, And then number five, it's filled with joyful thanksgiving to God. You know, there really is a lot that we have to be thankful for. I mean, most of the time, though, we just don't think about it. And I don't know what kind of a week you've had this week. Maybe it's been a pretty rough week. So your gratitude meter is pretty low right now. You're just like, I don't know what to be thankful for. And sometimes we don't know how thankful we should be. Have you noticed until we lose something that we had, that we should have been thankful for all along, but simply took for granted? I think I've shared before, it wasn't until I I broke my arm that I truly appreciated the way God designed us with two arms and two hands. And every day, if I had nothing else to be thankful for, I could thank God for my two arms and my two hands. If you remember when I broke my humerus bone, which is this bone in the arm, which is a completely misnomer because there was nothing humorous about it at all. It was very painful. But all of a sudden, I couldn't tie my shoe. I, I couldn't put deodorant on myself. And I thought, you know what? When was the last time I just thanked God for my hand or for my arm. And there's a lot we can be thankful for, but you know what? Paul just reminds us, if we can be thankful for nothing else, we can be thankful because God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I just want to close by saying, based on those five things, how healthy is your faith? How healthy is your faith? And maybe you need to go back and look at those three areas. Do you believe God exists? Do you believe that he has your best interest at heart and a reward in mind? Do you believe that he has the power to do what he's promised? Because that's what the Colossians knew. So let me give you a takeaway, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. It's pretty simple. As we get started with Colossians, along with reading it through maybe once each week, I would just encourage you to take some time this week to sit down and contemplate. Just think about the idea of that kingdom equation that I said. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because if there's one thing Paul wanted those believers to know, it was that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a time just to come together today to worship you, to get our hearts and our minds in tune with where they need to be. We've come from a a world of work and life and family and home and so many different things. And it's easy just to let uh, the importance of our faith in you slide. And so I pray today uh, that we would understand how important it is if we're going to walk in faith uh, to be able to put our faith completely and our trust in you. Guide us, Father, as we begin this journey through Colossians. Thank you for its truth, for the power of its message, and pray that it would permeate our lives and that we really could come to the point where we believe that your son, Jesus, if we have nothing else but him, we really have everything. Lead us to that place of faith and belief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.